undercover. Me or Robbie? Both of us. How's that? All right. Are we ready? This, this is, is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. Praise Glory God. to God. Well, we're going to pray. We're going to jump right into the Word tonight. Uh, we're going to try to cover seven, uh, 18 um, and 19. We'll see if we can manage to do that tonight. Because, uh, honestly, 18 is very self-explanatory. And a good chunk of 19 is also. Uh, so let's pray, and uh, then we'll dive right in. Mm-hmm. You want to pray? Well, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for being here with us. Lord, we just know that you're going to... You're going to speak through me and Robbie and that you're going to give us the word that, that needs to be spoken for those that are here and those that are listening online. The word is, that is just right for them here and now to bring them closer to you and for them to help them through their lives and to help them ha- live the abundant life. Because your word says that if we seek you first, you will add all things unto us. And Lord, we are seeking you first. We're putting you first in our lives and we're seeking you and we're, we're seeking your way and we're... We just want to, we want to live the way you want us to live, and we want to do the things that you want us to do, Lord. We just love you, and we thank you for this. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You will not operate here. You will not operate through the folks here, and you will not influence them or cause them to lose the word that is planted tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen. All right, a couple review points before we get into this too far. Uh, chapter 17 They talk about this woman that's riding this beast. The beast is the dragon. The woman is a is nothing more than an illustration to take something that's a current that occurs in the spirit realm and tries to put it in a human context so we can understand it. What this woman is like over in Proverbs. They talk uh, about the woman, but then they're talking about wisdom or understanding. In Proverbs, Solomon often used uh, the example of a woman to help explain what wisdom is and what understanding is. So here, the right, John is using the same style of writing. to uh, He's describing a woman, but this is not a woman at all. This is sin or the influence of sin. And those that get into uh, relationship or into fornication with this uh, sin or the influence of sin becomes a harlot to sin or or a whore. Uh, Basically, they prostitute themselves. They sell themselves into sin for some type of gain. And um, so look at chapter 17, verse 5. And and he says on this, uh, this woman's forehead, this is a descriptor. He tells us exactly who this woman is. 
but it's not a woman at all. It's it's just a, um, it, you know, it's kind of like wisdom or understanding. Sin is just an influence, uh, a spiritual influence or a spiritual principle, I guess we could say. But it tells us exactly who this woman is in verse 5, chapter 17, verse 5. It says, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Okay, so if we just, just if all we look at is the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, abominations are the things that God absolutely hates. Those are the things that God absolutely hates. He hates uh, a, a, he hates feet that are swift to to shed blood. He hates a lying tongue. He hates uh, murderers. Uh, he, you know, there's all kinds of things that God hates. Um, any any form of sin, God hates that. Um, but um, harlots are basically people that pro- that prostitute themselves or sell themselves uh, into something for some type of gain. Um, if you are involved in lying. You are prostituting yourself to gain acceptance. That's the reason people lie is to get somebody's approval or acceptance. You know, we say, oh, no, I don't lie for that. I lie to spare somebody's feelings. Well, the reason you want to spare their feelings is because you want them to accept you. Um, so you're gaining by lying. Uh, another reason that another thing that people will sell themselves to is for gain is into alcohol. They either gain the um, reputation of being a fun partier or they gain relief from emotional scars and hurts and life pains. Um, Same thing with drugs. They may sell themselves into sex. Now, you don't think of yourself as being a prostitute if you're not standing on a street corner, but if if you're giving sex away so people can either give you a place to stay or so you can get a partner's approval or you can uh, even just so they'll like you. You know, people will like you, or you can just get a satisfying euphoria in your flesh. You're still selling or giving part of yourself away to obtain something. You can actually prostitute yourself to video games. Uh, you can be why? Because video games become your social life. They become your social activity. They become your social outlet. They become a fantasy world for you that you like better than the world that you actually live in. So you can sell yourself to anything. Um, And anything that you put before God, God sees that as sin. He sees that as idolatry. And and he sees it as fornication because we're supposed to be sold out to him. Sold out to him. Uh, And if if if, if if Christ is is the bridegroom and we're the bride and we're spending more time with somebody or something else, we're basically uh, in fornication. All right. So the next two chapters, we're going to see in these next two chapters, the John is keeps referring to her, her, her. The her that he's referring to is this, is this mother of sin or this harlot of sin or this whore of sin we can say it this way, the influence of sin, and he's referring to the people, and also in these two chapters, he's referring to the people that sell themselves into that sin. He refers to them as merchants uh, in, in these chapters. So there, he's taking a, a spiritual concept, he's putting it in a human story-type 
atmosphere so that we can relate to it better. Um, now let's talk about Babylon. Babylon in biblical times was a great city. It was, however, this city was very steeped in idolatry. It was very steeped in pagan worship. Uh, at one point in time, ancient Rome was considered the seat of Babylon. Uh, there were other nations that were considered the seat of Babylon throughout history. Uh, Babylon is always a very strong nation, a very rich nation, um, or a very rich city. And a very proud nation. A very proud nation. Um, however, Babylon always falls, has always fallen. The other thing that you need to understand about this Babylon is we understand that in the seven years, uh, the primary city that God is talking about is Jerusalem. And this is why so many of your theologians and so many of your ministers say everything's going to happen in Jerusalem. And there is no doubt in anybody's mind uh, that gets into the word that Jerusalem, not even in my mind, Jerusalem is going to be kind of like the epicenter for all of this. Uh, but what we're going to read, we'll be able to clearly see that he is talking about this is, this is going to happen worldwide. It's going to happen worldwide because it continually talks about the nations of the world. Uh, we talked about last week that we can think of many sin, many nations, even in our own or any many cities in our own nation that are just they're just known for having a lot of sin behavior happen in them. I mean, Las Vegas is known as sin city. I mean, hello, this is not a hard thing to understand. Now, what you need to understand about Las Vegas is Las Vegas is nowhere near the ocean. It's nowhere near a sea. It's nowhere near uh, a big bottle of water. In fact, it's in the middle of a desert. Uh, so we're going to see here that it's going to sound like all of that Babylon is all like right there at the water. But he's talking, again, he's talking about uh, a, a general, he's just drawing us a general picture. So let's pick up in chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Because uh, i got to point something out, and then it gets kind of easier after there to kind of catch. All right. Chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit. And a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Okay. A uh, couple of things here. Notice it says, right off the bat, it says, And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power. Go to chapter 17, verse 1. I want you to look at this right here. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Okay, so John is being, is so, so we know that there were seven angels. Remember that word angel means messenger. We found out at the beginning revelations that where it said angel talking to the seven churches, that uh, Jesus was actually said to address the seven pastors because a pastor is a messenger of God. Um, here it says the seven angels that had the plagues. We know from the prior chapter that the four beasts 
actually handed the seven vials to the to seven angels and sent the angels out and the angels distributed the seven plagues. Uh, now, when it gets when it starts at chapter 18, it doesn't say that another angel came and spoke to John. This says that while this first angel that had the plague that was explaining things to John, uh, that while this angel was explaining it, this is what he saw. And so if you kind of think about it like this, if you think of John and this angel or this messenger is sitting on the sidelines of heaven, and then there's a play kind of kind of being, uh, or a scene or a drama kind of being rolled out in front of them, then this angel is kind of explaining things to John as John is seeing things. Um, and so that's kind of what it looks like here is, is this, the, the first angel, it doesn't say if he's declaring it or the second angel declares it or what happens, but it just says, and after the first angel explained to him who the whore, who the harlot was or who the great whore was, then all of a sudden it says, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. And, and, uh, and this, this other angel that he sees starts to make these declarations. So it doesn't say this angel directly addresses John. Now, that's going to be important later on, but I just needed to point that out to you right here where we can see it. Now, verse 2, it says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. So we know that Babylon is is sin. We know that Babylon is um, is basically the sin in the earth, the power of sin. So the power of sin is fallen. And it says, and is become the habitation of devils. Now, we've talked about habitation many, many, many long time ago. But, you know, we think about it when you go to the zoo. You know, if you're going to go to the reptile house, what are you going to go look at? The, the, the reptile habitat. If you're going to the lion's place, you know, the big cat thing, you're going to the cat's habitation. So a habitation is a place that you live and never leave, that you live and never leave. So it says that the earth, or Babylon, it says he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and the habitat and has become the habitation of devils. Well, we know that Babylon belong, is on the earth. So essentially what this angel is declaring is the earth has become the habitation of devils. And the hold of every foul spirit, that word where it says, and the hold, that word literally translates to prison, to a prison. So the earth has become a prison to every foul and unclean spirit, or every foul spirit. And a foul spirit is a spirit that is unclean in its thinking and in its behavior. When you look up foul, that's what it means. It's just everything this this spirit does is is dirty and unclean and totally against God. Now this is crazy. The next ver- the next little piece of this is crazy. It says, and the cage of every clean and of They're every unclean. unclean and hateful bird. Now, if we continue to look at the Book of Revelation strictly from a standpoint, from a natural standpoint, then that means every bird is unclean and hateful. Wow, every every <laughs> unclean bird, right? Like, like Every buzzards and vultures and chickens and, and, and chickens and, however, and possibly eagles. However, he's 
he's not he's not going to go from this ain't do you think this angel really cares about chickens no this ain't what this what this bird is the reason he says every unclean and hateful bird is this bird again is taking something spiritual and trying to put it in a natural understanding that we can understand so what he's saying so a cage is basically a prison if you put a bird in a cage you're basically imprisoning the bird and and he's imprisoning these and so what he's basically saying he's making it very clear he's telling us the same thing three different ways that the earth has become the cage or the prison or the detention center or whatever the holding place uh the habitation the living abode of every demonic spirit so these hateful and unclean birds are not birds at all but are demonic spirits what we now know as demonic spirits so everybody catch that we all we're all with me right here okay this is not going to we're going to we're going to set that aside for a little while but we're going to find that that comes in very important when we get to chapter 19 so now let's read we're going to start to read about uh the the impact of this woman here in verse 3 verse 3 okay for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Okay, one another word for delicacies is luxuries. Luxuries. You know, we can look at our earth today, and we can look at people's lifestyles, and we can see that people that are very much so engulfed in sin they seem to have a very luxurious life. They tend to be jet setters. They tend to have a lot of money. They tend to have a lot of fashion. They tend to not have, like, they tend to be kind of, they, they have luxuries over, you know, legal systems and things like that. That's what it means by these delicacies. But I want you to notice in verse 3, it says, for all nations have drunk the wine. So is this talking about just Jerusalem? No, it's talking about all of the nations of the world. It says, for all nations have drunk of her wine, or drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Wine is, is the juice from a fruit. That's what wine is. It's the juice of a fruit. Well, what is the fruit of sin? What is the fruit of sin? Death and corruption. Death, corruption, Which disease. is why they, they spoke of unclean birds, because right. unclean birds mainly eat carrion right. or, or dead things. The other thing about this, it says, it says, have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. What this is, is basically this woman or this influence of sin gets to talking to mankind. And mankind, and at first, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, let's just say that I'm, that I'm this woman, that I'm sin. And I come up to Derek, and I whisper in Derek's ear, and I say, hey, Derek, don't you want to don't, don't have a drink? And Derek goes, no. I'm like, no, don't you? You really want to drink, right? No, I don't want to drink. Come on. You know you had a really rough day. You really want to drink. And eventually he drinks. Eventually he has a drink. What is he doing? He's taking, he's, he's taking part of the wine of my influence is what this is. Okay, that's what it means when it says, and for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath. Why is this woman uh, trying to get him into sin? 
Because this woman, this this element of sin, this mother of sin, this influence of sin, is driven by a hatred for all of the, for all of mankind. And the reason, so the reason that this influence is there, if I were to be this woman, which is totally opposite of what it is, uh, of what I want, but for Derek, but if if I was this woman, I would hate him so much that I would do everything to get him into sin to take him out of the hands of God because I hate him. Okay? That's what this is. And it says that every nation has come under this woman's influence uh, or under this influence of sin. It says that all nations have drank in. All the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. In other words, all of the rulers of the nations have basically gotten in bed with sin. Uh, it says that the merchants, which are the people of the earth, ha- of the earth, are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. How much do you know? People are getting rich off of sin. Yeah, absolutely. People are getting rich off of fleshly pleasures. People are getting, and and here's the deal: that's why some they of call those Las pleasures, Vegas sin city. That's right. Some of the you, people are getting people are getting rich off of gambling. People are getting rich off of drugs. People are getting rich off of sports. People are getting rich off of off of selling cars and gold and silver. The, I mean, people cannot get enough. I mean, you you could be a shopaholic and think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just buying because I like these beautiful things. But that is idolatry in your life. Um, and so so uh, so these merchants are people. Basically, they're more. The, basically, the earth is more consumed with with satisfying the flesh than they are with pleasing God. Amen. With pleasing God, and this problem has been progressively growing and getting worse since Adam and Eve took part of the tree in the garden, and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. Then Noah. Uh, and, and, you know, we wiped this, God wiped the slate clean, but that nature was still in the children of Noah, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and here we are once again, and this nature is just, everybody is just ravished by this behavior. We, do you know that more people, yes, people are in poverty more now than of, than ever, but as far as the rich of the rich, as far as like, once you reach that cap of being considered top class, do you know that there's more people in that class than there has ever been in the history of the world? More now than there's ever been. So people are getting rich. I mean, people are winning the lottery. I mean, people that would have never had money are getting money. People are getting rich off of the lottery. People are getting rich off of game shows. People are getting rich off of lawsuits. Somebody, we were watching the moves for a few minutes this morning, and they just there was just a lawsuit somewhere where where the young generation sued what was it a state or something? Yes. Uh, for a climate for they're, they're of, suing the state over climate change over climate change and, and how over, their policies are affecting climate change. Yeah, and and, and the so courts, now now the state no longer has money to spend right. on fixing things right, because, because they have to pay these kids because they're suing them. Over climate change, and one of, something that cannot be proven. One of the kids that was in the lawsuit, if I understood it correctly, because we only watched for while we were just getting ready this morning, but one of these kids claimed that he had allergies. Listen to me. That he had, yeah, due, due that it was the change. state's fault. 
because the state put things into practice that allowed climate change. And because of climate change, he suffers from allergies, and therefore he needed to have a big payout. And the court said, you're right, and gave him, and awarded him a big payout. Yeah. This, uh, uh, I, said, I, I don't know. I didn't catch the fullness of it. But basically, I, just said the court sided. I think that the court sided with them saying that they could sue over this. Yeah. I don't think it's actually gone through yet. You know, and, you know and, but, but look at how far we've gone from the ice cream made me fat lawsuit. Yeah, that was a lawsuit. Oh, yeah, lawsuit. somebody sued the ice cream manufacturers because they got fat from eating ice cream. And the court sided with them. See, people are getting influences, getting money off of everything. So let's keep reading here. Don't get any ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. no, no, that's not. That was not what I meant. Sorry. And on I that can, note, I can see how it went that way, but no. And on that note, verse four, verse four, please, verse four. <laughs> Woo. Okay, I, that one went got derailed fast. All right, verse four. <laughs> okay. You're not allowed to talk anymore. <laughs> Well, okay. uh, verse four, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. Now, check this out. So here's this voice in heaven. And this voice is saying, come out, come out of sin. In other words, there's an angel coming through. And we read that. Remember, we read Back there where all of a sudden the angel appears in the sky and says, repent for, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get yourself right. Receive God. So now here's this angel again. And this angel is saying, uh, those of you that are with God, get away from sin. Get out of these heavy seated places of sin. It's fixing to turn bad. Get out. You don't want to deal with the plagues. Now, now remember, we also found that a plague does not always mean sin sickness a plague means a judgment or a corrective hand or a corrective strike uh to bring judgment so so this angel is saying uh babylon these places of sin is fixing to get judged and if you don't want to be involved in that judgment you need to get out of there that's what this angel is saying so now let's look at what this ain't what this judgment looks like all right verse five yep for her, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled to her double. Okay. So what when, once you sin, and then, you know, once you get past the pleasure of sin, what's the outcome? Destruction. Sickness. What? The wages of sin is death. It's sickness and death. Sickness, disease, death, destruction. Remember, Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what this angel is saying is this woman has deceived you into fornication. This woman, this influence of sin, has deceived you into fornication and has brought destruction upon you. Now, because God has been watching this and God and, and the sin has gotten so bad that that it's reached heaven... Basically, the odors of sin are overriding the praises of the people. It's gotten to heaven, and God said, okay, now I'm going to respond. I'm not putting up with this nonsense anymore. And when God responds, he says, oh, you want to bring destruction on my people? 
okay, vet, you're getting twice what you brought on my people. That's something you don't want. Because if you think about the if you if you just think about the destruction that sin has brought upon your life and upon the lives of your friends and loved ones, and then you double that. Now you take that and you and you do that for the entire world. Uh, this is not a scene that you want to be a part of. No. All right, verse seven. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Meaning she's not going to be, she's not going to be punished for this. Yeah. This influence of sin and these people that are under this influence of sin, how much do you know they sit up and they say, Psh, I got all the money. I got all the fame. I got all the power. I got all the fortune. Ain't nothing can come against me. I mean, look at the, what you know of the people that are in power. Right now. And how they get away with just about right anything. And it says, when she says, when she says, and I am no widow, uh, you'd have to go over to Timothy and read about a biblical widow. A biblical widow is a woman of 65 or 60, 65 I think it is, 60 or 65 years old that has no family has no relatives of any type, no nieces, no nephews, no sisters, no brothers, no no family whatsoever. And this woman is completely destitute. They're completely poor. They have no no means of life in any way, shape, or form. And if the church doesn't step up and help this woman or this man, because a man can be a widow also, uh, then they're gonna they're not gonna make it. But here's the deal about a biblical widow. A biblical widow has to be a person of hospitality. This biblical, in order to be a biblical widow, in other words, where the church can step in and help you, this woman has to be a woman uh, that serves in the church before she was a widow. This has to be a woman or a man that was given to hospitality. In other words, they have to be of good moral conscience. Now, here's a problem with a lot of these people that are in this position of fornication with this woman is they give to charity, so they think, I'm a good moral person. Uh, they, they, you know, they throw, their, they throw their parties, they throw their money around, they throw their name around in the name of hospitality, but they don't really, all they're doing is, is they don't have throwing to, pennies at the water have, fountain, basically. They don't have love. Yeah. So they don't. So, have, they don't. Their, their love walk isn't there. So they're just. The Bible says that they're just sounding brass. Right. So this this these people that are under this influence, this influence of sin, has gotten people so puffed up that they think that nothing can take them down. That's what they think. Nothing can take them down. They're fixing to find out that there's one that can take him down, and that's the great uh, judge of all. So let's keep going. All right, verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she sh shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Now through this chapter, we're going to see this phrase one hour three or four times. Let me talk to you about this one hour. That phrase, one, means one, or one, one season, or it literally means one. But that phrase, hour, means it could be literally 60 minutes. It could be a day. 
It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be simply a season of time. It's, just, it's a measured period of time. It, it's a measured period of time. So these things that are fixing to happen doesn't mean that in 60 minutes time, this is everything that's going to happen and then boom, you're done. That's not what it means. It means that for, for a set season, for a set period of time, that what's fixed, this destruction that's going to come is going to be for a very set season. And this season of destruction that's going to come is going to come right near the end, I believe, right here near the end of the seven years. Will it take a week, a, a day, a month, a week, maybe a year, maybe the, we don't know, but it'll, it'll be for a set season and it'll be a short season. It'll be a short season, but it'll be a very set season. All right, so we're going to see this many times. And it says, therefore shall her plagues, which are her judgments, so sin, uh, the influence of sin, and the people that have committed these sins and that live in these sins, they're going to come under judgment for a very short period of time. This, this judgment is going to cause um, death. Uh, now, most people that get into this part of the book of Revelations, at this point, most people believe that there is going to be a physical war. Most people believe that there's going to be physical destruction. Most people believe that it's going to be an absolute bloodbath and that thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to be left dead in the streets. Um, I personally from reading the scriptures, we've talked about it all through this teaching. Um, I truly believe that the death is going to come is a spiritual death because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that right here at the end before the church is called out, it says that we must put on, that the mortal must put on immortality. Now, Pastor Mike and I had a big conversation about this on our drive over the last 24 hours. And there is a difference between, and the church, I think, has caused a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding because we like to say this, we're all going to receive a glorified body. What, we, what the Bible actually says is that we're going to read that all, all, all will receive a, all will receive a, um, an, or an, a mortal body and an immortal body or an incorrupted body means what that means is we're going to everybody's going to receive a body that cannot come to an end. In other words, you're going to receive a body that cannot physically die. Then the scriptures talk about and we're going to see this here in these chapters. The scriptures talk about being clothed in righteousness. We're going to see that the, that the scriptures talk about being clothed in pure white linen, and that pure white linen is the righteousness of God. Now, we know that Adam and Eve, we know that um, when, once they ate the fruit of the tree of good and evil, that they found themselves naked. In other words, they were no longer clothed. They were no longer clothed at that point. Uh, we know that God said in the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree would be the same day that they died. Well, we know that uh, Adam lived to be something. I, I, I believe he lived to be 930 years or 960. The number's coming back to me in Jesus' name. 
uh, but uh, I think it was 936. But maybe it was 936. Uh, but what we do know is that God, that no man has lived on the earth a thousand years, and the scripture says that a thousand years is but a day with God. So, did Adam die in that spiritual day? Absolutely. So he did die, um, but it took him <laughs> 900 and something years to do it. And since then, the age of man has been dwindling uh, for the most part. And it's actually been fluctuating because when I, at one point in our nation, the average age of death was about 40 to 50 years old. And now uh, the average age of death in our nation is about 78 and a quarter, somewhere in there. Huh? That's, that was the – because it was so hard, because the, the land was so hard. Um, and, and medical care was so was so uh, not just not there. Um, so you know, so the the age of man is constantly shifting, but no man uh, has lived, uh, or very few. There's only been just a handful of people that have lived beyond 120 years since God said that in Noah's day. And there's debate about that. And we're not talking about that tonight, but. What we do know is that there is physical death, and then there's spiritual death. And so my personal opinion is when it's talking about death in these two chapters, it's talking about spiritual death, not physical death. Because from what we've seen, what we've studied, go back and listen to all the other sermons, is uh, it looks like that physical death is put away before we get into these seven years. All right, so let's keep reading. All right, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her. Then they shall see the smoke of her burning. So these cities are going to burn, and these men are going to be on these kings, are going to be outside of these cities, and these cities are going to uh, burn. That's what it says. Let's keep going. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, and that real, mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. You're going to see that word alas, alas, several times in these chapters. Alas, alas, all that means is woe, 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 woe. Yeah, it's like, it's like, whoa, this is not a good thing. Like, like these are woes, these are bad things, these are, these are not okay things. Um, and so, uh, you know. Think about this. You know, think about the wealthy. They've got their. Let's say you got a wealthy person that's full of sin. That's in New, their their place. They're in New York. That's that's like where their business is. That's where their capital is. Is in New York. But they go on vacation. Uh, to I don't know. Maybe they go to vacation to the Bahamas or Vermont or you know somewhere outside of the city. And then here comes this judgment. So they're going to be outside of the city, and this judgment is going to fall. And they're going to be on the outside of their city, and they're going to see their kingdom of finance come crashing down, their kingdom of gold and silver and all of this, and they're going to be on the outside of that watching it burn, watching it fall. All right. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood 
and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Okay, so it doesn't matter what your kingdom is built out of. Basically what he said is it doesn't matter what you've built your kingdom on, it's going to come crashing down. And now, but, but notice right here it says, uh, you know, I mean, the, people can get built up. With, I mean, hor- there's big money in horses. There's big money in cattle. There's big money in char. Listen, there's big money in cars. We know that. The chariots would be the equivalents of our cars and our transportation today and aircraft and all of that. But notice it says, and slaves. And souls of men. And the souls of men. We don't think about slavery like everybody's like, oh, your nation was currently, oh, your nation was built on the backs of slaves and blah, blah, blah. But slavery has gone on since the beginning of biblical times, and slavery goes on today. There's chi- we know that there's child labor, sa- child labor slavery in other nations. We know that there's sex slavery, both children and adults. We know that there's we know that there's um, all kinds of farm slavery. We know that there's human trafficking slavery. There, there's all kinds of forms of slavery that still go on in the earth today. And then the souls of man. What does this mean? This is talking about people that will sell out who they are to feed their flesh. We tend to see this largely with gambling, with drug addicts, with um, alcoholics, with anything that you sell your – and again, I can bring up video games again. People will absolutely sell out who they are. Just, I mean, we see this. I don't know if adults see this so much as we see it from working with the younger generation. But you ask, you ask a young person that's into video games, like, what do you want to do with your life? And they'll give you answers like, I just want to sit behind a video screen all day long. Like, I want to maybe get up and go do something for like 30 minutes or something, but I just, I want to, if I can make a living playing video games, that's all I would do. This is their souls being sold out. This is what they're talking about. This probably probably goes to influencers as well. Absolutely. Influence. Uh, you can't get your, listen, go, just pay attention. Pay attention to how many times you go sit in a restaurant or go walk through the store or something. Even driving down the road. Listen, I can't tell you how many people have tried to kill me on the road because they can't get their eyes off of this thing right here. That's their they, souls being sold out. And these influencers out. are tied in totally to getting people to look at them. That's right. They lose who they are because they're trying to be something or somebody to get other to get their niche met. All right. All right. Fourteen. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. So it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what you went over. Listen, people will sell their souls for sports. People will sell their they'll sell their children's souls for sports. Have you ever, you know, oh, you know, you had somebody that was kind of good at sports when they were in school and now they've got kids and they're like, they're just driving their kids into sports and sports and sports and sports. And these kids are like, I have to be the best. I have, these kids don't even know who they are other than 
mom or mom or dad's sport hero. I mean, this is crazy what happens out there. And I'm not coming. And listen, if you're listening to this and or whatever, I'm not coming down on sports. I'm not coming down on video games. I'm not coming down on any of that. I'm just saying, if it's feeding your flesh to the point that you can't function normally in life, you have an idolatry issue. Or, or if it's feeding your flesh to the point that that they have be, that those things have become your god, you have a sin issue. All right, let's keep going. All right, verse fifteen. The, mer- the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, "Alas, alas! That great city." that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? Now, where it talks about these shipmasters. That word shipmaster means governor or ruler or manager. So while it is talking about people, not only this is not only going to impact people that deal with business on land, but it's also going to deal with business that people that do business overseas. How much do you know a, a huge percentage of what comes into this country is now coming through the seaports? A huge, huge masses of it. And we're not the only nation in that position. But at the same time, remember, all through Revelations, every time it talks about seas, it's talking about peoples. So it doesn't matter. So what what this angel is helping John to see is that no matter what your involvement is, if you're in bed with sin, listen, there's some people that will not, they'll live a clean life. They live clean. But what they're selling is they're selling sin to other people. It's commonly known that most drug dealers don't take part in their drugs. It's commonly known. It's eating your own profits. Because it's eating your own profits. Well, if that's true with drug dealers, it's, it's true in every other field, in every other area of life. So you can have somebody that's making, that's getting, I mean, they're making buck. But they're actually living clean. Their kingdoms are coming down too. All right. Verse 19. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reasons of her costliness. I forgot one thing. For in one hour she is made desolate. I'm sorry. I forgot one thing. Look in verse 18. At the tail end of verse 18, it says, what city is like unto this great city? When you see, when, when they see their cities coming down, when they see this, this power coming down, think about, if you know people, if you've paid any attention to people, if people that live in New York, they think New York is the best city in the world. People that live in um, yes. New Orleans think that New Orleans is the hottest, greatest city. There's no other city in the world. People, there's people that believe France is the best city in the world. Well, this is Paris. Or Paris, France I'm sorry. France is a country, Paris. But you understand what I'm saying. People from Tokyo and those areas, all these, these are the best. Like, like, this is, like, if this is your place, if this is your city, if this is your state, if this is your country, like, oh, my gosh, there's no place better than this. 
when they see this power, New York and all, when they see these power places come crashing down, they're gonna they're gonna lose all hope. Think about our younger people probably won't know understand this, but our older people will. Remember when the Great Depression hit, and what caused the Great Depression? The great city of that day was the stock market. Wall and remember Street. Wall Street. And remember the Wall Street prices plummeted, and people were so distraught over imaginary paper funds that they didn't even technically have. They were so distraught that they were throwing themselves out of windows. They were jumping out of out of skyscraper, skyscraper buildings because, oh my God, my great city of Wall Street has collapsed. Well, if it was like that in the days of the Depression, imagine what it's going to be in the, it, with the crazy pride that there is today. You're right. Think about That's that. Absolutely right. All right, let's keep going. All right. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Glory to God. Now, you know, everybody, we keep hearing this. We hear this big right now. Everybody keeps saying, God's not going to put up with this much longer. God's not going to put up with being disrespected much longer. God's not going to be putting up with it. Well, thank God God's mercy is long-suffering. But when it comes to pass, when this comes to pass, this angel is going to declare, rejoice over this judgment. Rejoice over sin being judged, um, thou heaven. This angel is going to declare to heaven, hey, heaven, pay attention. Pay attention. and the holy apostles and the prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. In other words, yes, God's judgment is coming, but most people will not reach that point of judgment until right here at the end of the seven years. But it's coming. Let's keep going. All right. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city, Babylon, be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, you remember back uh, way back when, when Jesus was talking, uh, talking to some folks and he and, and they were trying to keep the children from bothering him. And he said, he said, don't hold my children back from me. Let them come. In, let them come to me. In, in, in fact, if anybody holds my children back from me. Offends these children so that they won't come to me. That then they might as well have a millstone hung around their neck and they be cast into the sea. Well, how much you know the whole world is his children. That's right. So so that what he's doing to Babylon is they Babylon has offended his children to the point where they won't see him, and he's hanging this millstone around her neck and he's casting her into the sea. That's what's happening. Now, is this an actual physical millstone? No, this is not. Could it be asteroids coming out of the sky? Maybe. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is there will be a sudden destruction that will come upon those in sin in the world. It will be a sudden destruction. And what will happen in these places of idolatry is what we're fixing to read. All right. Verse 22. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. 
and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So what we understand now is it doesn't matter what... You know, he was talking about the gold, the silver, the wood, the ivory, the people, the slaves. Now, even the craftspeople, even the tradesmen, even their stuff is destroyed. There's no, there's no light of the world anymore. Um, there's just, there's nothing but just total devastation for these people in sin. Rather, they were the kings. Rather, they were. It doesn't matter what level of life they were in. If they were sold out to this sin, to this woman of sin, everything that they know comes to complete desolation. Comes to complete desolation. There's not even any food being produced uh, for these people because it says the sound of a millstone is heard no more. A millstone in in biblical times, in Jesus' time, in John's time, a millstone was what was used to crush and grind the wheat, which was necessary for making bread. So there's not even any food production going on. This is utter devastation. Utter devastation is what is happening here. Now, how much of it is is natural? How much of it is supernatural? We don't know, but what we clearly know is that a complete and total end to all sin comes to pass. That's what we do know. All right. So let's keep going. Now, last thing that you notice is it says, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. Now, we do know that there are there are people that were Christians at one time. They were serving the Lord. Uh, they got deceived into sin. And some of them checked out of here prematurely. People die prematurely because they get over into sin. Uh, that would mean that them dying prematurely, physically dying prematurely, that that blood of that person would be would be laid upon sin's influence because it was sin's influence that caused that person to get into sin. We also know that there are some people that received God and served God, but then they turned completely away from God and ended up rejecting him and going to hell. Guess what? Their blood... That's upon this woman, this influence. We know that there's people that stood in the prophet's office. Remember, God said over in Matthew, and I think also in Luke, Jesus said, he said, but definitely in the book of Matthew, uh, he said and that uh, that his people would prophesy, you know, he, these people would come before him, and he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they said, wait, 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 Lord. Wait, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We laid hands on the sick and saw them recover, Lord. Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. There will be people that operated in the power of God, but in the end rejected God and embraced sin and ended up in hell. Those people's blood will be upon Satan's hands. And, and, they, and, and they will be judged for this. This woman, this influence of sin, they will take the penalty of that blood. So uh, it's very important that we as believers don't play with the things of Satan. 
very, very important that we as believers do not play with the things of Satan. So this chapter is pretty easy. 19 is very easy also. So let's see how far we can get into 19. I want, to see, I want you to see a couple of things. Before we get into 19, though, I need you to go to three verses. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. Come on, Samuel. Samuel's right before Kings. 1 Samuel 17. And I want you to look at verse 44. This is David and Goliath. And uh, Goliath is standing before David, and he's threatening David, and David has a response, and David's response starts right here in verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. So this is Goliath. Goliath is like, okay, little punky kid David. Remember, David's a teenager. Come on, you little punky kid, and I'm going to feed you to the birds. And to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee unto mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, we know this. All of the theologians agree that with this for, you know, the, the greater portion of them. They all agree that David and Goliath is a type and a shadow of the New Testament church and Satan. And so basically... Satan is like, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to, I'm going to feed you to, you know, you're, I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, remember the Bible says that, that, uh, the, that Satan, your adversary is roaming about like a lion looking for whom he may devour, like whom he may slurp up. And so he says to David, he says to the church, Goliath says to the church, David being the type of shadow of the church says, I'm going to feed you to the fowls and the beast. And David says, Oh no, uh-uh. I serve the God of Israel. And uh, not only are you going to die today, but your warriors are going to die today. And we're going to feed them to the birds and to the beasts of the field. Now, what does this have to do with Revelations? Well, you'll see it in a minute. Now I need you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. We're going to start right here. I believe in verse 9 is where we're going to start, I believe. Jeremiah chapter 12. Yes, we're going to start right here in verse 9. All right. All right, verse 9. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Come ye, assemble all the beasts of the field. Come to devour. Many okay, well, that's all we need. Okay. So here, Jeremiah is a prophet, and Jeremiah says, this is, what I, this is what I get to inherit. I'm going to have an inheritance where um, the speckled birds or the speckled vultures is another way that that could be interpreted. Um, but these birds roundabout are against the people that, ha- that are coming against Israel. And these birds are going to – these birds – 
um, are going to uh, all come together and all the beasts are going to come together and they're coming together to devour the enemy of God's people. That's who they're coming to devour. One more Old Testament scripture I need you to go look at. We'll see this picture even better is Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39. Now remember, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, I mean, honestly, all your Old Testament prophets, they were prophesying about uh, Jesus and about the New Testament time and the New Testament church, and they're all types and shadows. There's all types and shadows of what's going to happen in the New Testament era. So Ezekiel 39, and we're going to pick up right here in verse 17. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl and unto every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. A little bit more. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. Bashan. Yep. Go ahead and keep going a little bit more. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. And thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. All right. So this sounds like, this, test, this, this prophecy sounds like all of these birds of every type are supposed to come to the mountains of Israel, Jerusalem. They're supposed to come and they're supposed to get ready for a great sacrificial feast that the Lord God has prepared for them. Isn't that what this sounds like? It's exactly what this yes. sounds like. All right. So, and, and here's one of the signs that, we've, that we know are occurring in Jerusalem currently right now. Currently right now in Jerusalem, there has been a mass amount of all types of raptors and birds have been flocking and migrating to the Israel area. There's a ridiculous amount of them that are coming to Israel. This is a sign that the prophecies in that we just read are preparing to come to pass. Well, Pastor, if that's the case, then the whole thing about this is this is not that people can't die in the in in those seven years. Then that just debunks your entire belief. I agree that that adds some challenge. But let's read chapter 19, and I'm gonna point some things out to you. So let's go back to Revelations 19. Let's pick up here. Remember, don't forget, uh, chapter 18 started. With uh, the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Don't forget that. So let's pick up chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. So make no mistake, the devil does not win. Make no mistake, 
At the end of Revelation, at the end of the seven years of tribulation, Satan and all of his cronies and all of his servants, human, spiritual, otherwise, they all come to a place of destruction, and there is great rejoicing in heaven. It's very clear at this point. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both great and small, or small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of the mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Okay. So we clearly understand that there is a celebration going on in heaven. We clearly understand that they're worshiping the Lord God. They're having this wonderful time. They're saying, here comes the, here comes the bridegroom. We know that Jesus is the bridegroom. Here comes the bride. We know that the bride is the, is the church of the living God. We know, and it says that the, the she, look at what it says. It says, um, it says, uh, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. One of the things about Disciples' House, what is one of our things that we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be getting people ready. Ready. Have, has anybody in here ever been involved in a marriage? In a, in a wedding, how much do you know that takes some time, that takes some practice, that takes a lot of getting everything in place, getting all the right people in place. After all, you got to find the perfect dress, you got to find the perfect place, you got to get everything lined, you got to get all your ducks in a row, you got to get everything all lined up, you got to make sure everything's perfect. And how much you know when the day arrives? Now, you gentlemen, y'all have some wardrobe drama and some. Oh my gosh, is this really what I want to do drama? But in the in the bridal in 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 the bride's area, oh my goodness. There is some serious stuff going on in those rooms. They got to get the hair, not only does the bride, but the bridesmaids and the mother-in-law and the mother, they all got to get made up beautiful. They all they all not not only does the bride have to be ready, but all of the bridal party has to be made ready. They got to do their makeup. They got to do their hair. They're crying. They got to do their makeup three or four times. Then, you know, they get all hot and flushed and emotional. They got to redo their hair a time or two, you know, and then inevitably something gets left behind. You got to find the something blue, the something. I mean, you got to get all your ducks in a row. They got to get the dress on and the dress has got to be perfect. And once they get the dress on, it's still not time for the bride to come out. It's still not time. They all got to sit back there and get their emotions in check. This is a process getting a bride. If you if you ain't ever been involved in an actual like wedding wedding, it is a process to get the bride to the groom. It's a process. 
And that's what, and so, and so you, there's a period of getting that bride ready. You don't, don't you know you gotta do the bridal showers and the wedding parties and all of that? That's all the type of shadow and everything that God does. Everything. So the bride's getting ready. This takes some time, just like it takes some time now. But then it says, and to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Here's why the linen is fine, why it's clean, and why it's white. It says, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. This is the moment that you get what the church refers to as the glorified body. This is the moment when the bride gets dressed in the glory of God. And the reason she's getting ready to get dressed, the reason she's getting dressed in the glory of God is because, so when we go out of here, we're ready for the bridegroom, but we're going out of here so that we can go have the, the what we call the rehearsal dinner. We can all get in position. We can, now this is by the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. This is so, so when we go out of here, the wedding party, how much do you know? The wedding party kind of, if you've been involved in these things, the, the people that are actually involved in the wedding, like the week to two weeks, three weeks before, or a month before the wedding, it just depends on how elaborate the wedding is. It's like the people in the wedding party are in their own world. They're like in their own universe. You're like, everybody's like, is the wedding still on? Is everything set for the wedding? And everybody on the outside of the wedding party is like, it kind of just got quiet. It kind of just got still. I, don't, I, I assume they're all getting it together. We don't really know what's going on. And then you go to the wedding and you find out that they've had the rehearsal party and they've had the, bri- the, the bridal shower and the groom's shower and they've had, like, they've had all these dinners, family with his side, like, like they've had all these celebrations, they've had all these parties. Well, guess what? When the church gets called out of here, we're going to have seven years of that. Getting ready to come. Getting ready to come. Getting ready for the marriage. Now, I know you're thinking seven years is a long time to get ready for a marriage. But you got to remember, you know, when these people spend weeks or months getting ready for a wedding, they'll try and call that the wedding of the decade or the wedding of the century. This is going to be the wedding of Of all eternity. This is is a big deal. This is a big, big deal. All right. So then let's look at what he says in verse 9. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true sayings, of, or the true sayings of God. Trust me, you want to be in this wedding party. You want to be in the wedding party of God. You want to be ready to put on the fine linen. You want to be ready to put on the fine linen. How do you get ready? You get the dirty filth out of you. You get sin out of your life now. So when the wedding party gets called up to go prepare for the wedding, to go do all of that wedding stuff, you get to be called with the wedding party. Get ready now. Get it now. All right. So that so that gives us a little blurb about what we're doing during these seven years. We're getting we're having a we're getting ready for the wedding. All right. Verse ten. It's a little crazy right here. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this, so, so he, 
at this point, John is just overwhelmed. And John is like, John's thinking this angel is Jesus. That's what John's thinking. I mean, after all, the chapter started, or um, chapter 18 started with, and after this I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. That kind of sounds like Jesus, but maybe not. The other angels was the, the, the one, the, the only angel that we know of for sure that was talking with John was one that had the seven plagues. That's the only angel that we know for sure that was with John. But don't forget the word angel means messenger. The word angel does not always mean an angelic servant, an, an angelic spiritual servant. That's not what it means. It means messenger. Look at what this angel said when he fell down. The angel replied, or this messenger replied, see not. He said, he said, stop. He said, I am a fellow servant. The angelic spiritual angels of heaven are not fellow servants. The only way that this person can be a fellow servant is to be human. That's the only way. Not only is he a fellow servant, he said, and of the brethren of the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. The only way you can have a testimony of Jesus is you had to be human and you had to receive him as your Lord and as Savior. your Lord and Savior. So this is whoever this person is. And then he said this, he said, worship God. In other words, this messenger clearly says, I'm not God. I'm not. Therefore, this messenger is not Jesus. He said, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He said, don't worship me. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one. Give your testimony of Jesus and you'll be prophesying. People are always like, I want the gift of prophecy. I want the gift of prophecy. I want the gift of prophecy. You have a testimony. You have a prophecy. If you have a a testimony of Jesus Christ, you have a prophecy. So this person... Whoever is, whoever this is, maybe, maybe this is Moses. Maybe this is Elijah. Maybe this is uh, one of the one of the other disciples that uh, has already been martyred. I was thinking on this and meditating on this, and I got to thinking about it, and all of a sudden it just hit my spirit. This angel. This messenger is explaining to John the way that Solomon explains wisdom and understanding in Proverbs. Maybe this messenger is Solomon. We don't know. What we do know is it's a redeemed man who is a fellow servant and a fellow brother with the testimony of Christ. Now... If, if this person is indeed one of the messengers with the seven plagues, that means the seven plagues were not handed down by spiritual angels, but was handed down by redeemed men. I don't know. Again, we don't know. But we do know in the book of Hebrews that God says, do you not know that you will judge the earth and the angels? And it was a judgment. 
Again, I'm not making doctrine one way or the other. I'm just saying there's a lot of possibilities going on here. There's a lot of possibilities going on here. What we do know for sure is that there's a wonderful rejoicing that takes place in heaven that John sees. And we do know that according to what we read, this is a redeemed man that is, that is showing mysteries onto John. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Uh, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. What did they see? He says, and I saw in heaven, and behold, a what? A white horse. A white horse. If you go back into Revelations, remember when the demons were first led out after the church is led out? Remember the demons, they described them as riding on horses? Remember that? And the horses were breathing, uh, the, the horses appeared to be of um, brimstone and, and Japheth. And they, see, and they seem to, so uh, obviously there's horses in the spiritual realm. There's obviously horses in the spirit realm. We know there's a lion and a lamb in the spirit realm, but there's also horses in the spirit realm. According to this, this is very important. Let's keep going. All right. Oh, and obviously Jesus' name is faithful and true. Right. So this is Jesus upon the white horse. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped or dipped in blood. A vesture simply means uh, a, a, garment. a garment of some type. And it could actually be it could actually be um, a, a full fold clothed, full clothes plus a cloak, uh, plus a, a robe or a cloak. It just is basically he's well dressed. And what he's dressed in uh, is, is dipped in blood. Why? Because it's the blood of Jesus that causes us to overcome. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who are the armies of God? The redeemed. The redeemed. Yes. The, yes, the angels are, yes, Jesus is the head of the angel army, but the, but the army of God is redeemed man. See, at this point, Jesus is fixing to return to the earth, and he's bringing his army with him. That's right. He's bringing us with him. That's right. This is why we've got, this is why we've got to be dressed and ready for the wedding. Yes. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with, or that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So what is the sword of Christ? The word of God. This is not, this is not going to be, again, I said it before, this is not, when Jesus comes to confront Satan, Satan and Jesus are not going to have like a swashbuckler fencing fight. That's not what this is going to be. Jesus is going to come. The army is going to be behind him. Jesus is going to speak. Destruction is going to hit. And Satan's going to be done for. It's going to be that simple. All right. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of, the, of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. I have heard this from more than one person. Let me be very clear. 
Jesus is not with this little waist-high cloak. That's all he's got on. And then other than that, he's naked. And carved into the side of his leg is a giant tattoo that says, King of kings, the Lord of lords. Are you ridiculous people? No. He is completely clothed in his royalty robes. He's completely taken care of. And and obviously he has some type of armor or some type of guard on his thighs. And that armor declares that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. All right. It's more like more, what I see it being is I see it being a metal plate or some type of some type of armor. Some type of sash, some type of armor, some type of something that clearly declares. Because listen, Jesus is not riding in half naked and tattooed. That's not our Jesus. Our Jesus is coming in in honor and glory and majesty. And he is going to be something to be like, ah, we're not going to be like, ooh, Jesus, you forgot your pants. No. Huh? Did I just say that? Yes, I just said that. Okay. Verse 17. No, I can't, but that's what people say. That's all right. Verse 17. And I I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Okay. Now this sounds... I, I admit it, it sounds like an angel comes down and says, birds, go get them. But let's look at a couple of things here. He said, I, I, he said this, he said, I saw, the be- he, I saw um, an angel standing in the sun. Now, could it be right before the sun or wherever? But we don't know. But what we do know is that this angel is up in the in the atmosphere where the sun is he's not in the he's not right here where the clouds are he's up in the he's up in this mid midsection and it says and this angel cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the mist of heaven this mist of heaven means the center point of the heavenlies or the or the uh the partition between God's heaven and the earth's heaven. So these birds are are out there flying. These fowls are out there flying where the planets are. Now, last time I checked, if an eagle tried to go that high, it would die. And this last time I checked, the eagle is, is, is one of the main, I think the eagle is the bird that has the ability to fly into the highest point of the atmosphere. Like no other birds can go as high as the eagle. I might be wrong on that, but I know that they're one of the highest ones. So if the eagle can't get out of this atmosphere, how can it be natural birds that the, that the Lord is talking about? It cannot be. What it's talking about is it says, And the angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the angelic spirits, angelic spirits that fly in the heavenlies, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. We do know that the angels of God, the the spiritual angels, we know that they gather the wheat or the dried dead fruit, that they come and that they gather Satan 
and the beast and all those that are headed for hell, they gather them, they bundle them, and they send them into the fiery pit. That's what these fowl are. Let's keep reading. All right. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrote miracles, or that wrought miracles, before him, with which he deceived them that, w- that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Okay, pause. Where it says that they may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses. Remember I said there were spiritual horses on both sides. There were spiritual horses on both sides. Um, And the flesh of all men, free and bond, small and great. We've seen that these people are taken down at all levels. This word flesh, while it does mean, it does include the physical flesh of a man, it actually also, this word also denotes um, the mere human nature or the earthly nature of a man apart of divine influence or apart from, or apart divine, from divine influence. influence. So these fowls are gathering, spirit, he's basically gathering these people that are spiritually separated from God. That's what they're eating up. That's what they're taking their fill on. It says, apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. That's what these birds are filling on. Well, what about all these birds that are going to Israel right now? Well, listen, their job is to clean up the earth. And we know that one of these plagues is all of the water turns to blood. There's going to be a lot of dead carcasses of animals in, in all over the world. Why? Because there's nothing for them to drink. That's, that's part of the destruction that's going to come. So will there be food for natural birds? Yes. But this is a spiritual book telling us about a spiritual end. And these, these birds right here are spiritual angels. All right. Let's finish up. All right. Last verse. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This is all the fowls were filled. So obviously uh, the angels said, finally, Lord, we get to take these people out of here and go send them, to, uh, send them into eternity or wherever they're going. We'll find out next week. So praise the Lord. We made it through chapter 18 and 19, and it's 833. We did good. We even started five minutes late. We did good tonight, y'all. Uh, we've only got... Three more chapters left to go, uh, so one or two more weeks possibly, um, and then we'll be done with Revelations. Yes, I'm being positive. Yes, I'm being, you know, woohoo, we can get this done in two more weeks. We can do this. Those last few chapters are not hard. I'm being positive. We, we've done the hard ones. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of it. The next chapter might be a little challenging. I'm not going to lie. The next chapter is a little challenging. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, Derek, if you'll come and serve the people, I think you got this by yourself tonight. 
And, uh, Father, we just thank you. We glorify you for your goodness and for your wisdom. And uh, you want to bless the people and bless the offering and do all that good stuff? Yes. Good. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it falls on good ground and that it will grow and bear fruit in our lives and the lives of those we come in contact with. Because we are we are all called to be ministers of your word. And we will spread the word and we will share the word with all those that we come in contact with. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that all all the ways that you've made for us that we might not be separated from you. And Lord, we just want to see your work done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we give into your kingdom, pressed down, shaking together and running over more... Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We just, Lord, we give out of a joyous heart and a grateful heart, and we, and because we love you, and Lord, we just ask that you bless this offering so that it goes further than we could ever ask, hope, or think in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, you, Lord, and we ask that you bless us that we can become a bigger blessing to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you that in the end we win. And, Father, we thank you that we have authority over Satan. We command him to take his hands off our money, off our increase, off of every area of prosperity in our life. Loose it and let it go, Satan, in Jesus' name. Angels, we command you, according to the word, to go and cause prosperity to come that, uh, to, and that the Lord meet our needs abundantly above all that we could ask or think that he that we're supplied with his riches and glory by christ jesus and father we thank you that your word is true your word is working amen and amen, amen. thank you father for the seed sowed, and you may serve the people glory to god thank you